So here in John 6, we just read there from uh, verse 41 to the end, it's talking about Jesus as the bread of life, and it's kind of relevant to what we're doing now, taking the bread uh, and, the, uh, and the wine in memory of, of Jesus. And he's, he's saying that he is similar to the manna which came down from heaven in, uh, in the Old Testament when Israel were there in the wilderness and uh, you know they went through the Red Sea that's like baptism and then they walked through the wilderness which is like our life after baptism and they only survived because they ate the bread, the manna. And Jesus is saying that that bread, that manna that came down from heaven is like him. But of course the manna didn't literally float down through the sky. They didn't literally see manna coming down like out of heaven itself onto the earth. The manna was created on the earth. It was from God and it came down from God in the sense that God created it. And so when Jesus says that he came down from heaven, it doesn't mean that he existed in heaven before he was born. It means that he, he was from God in the sense he was a son of God, but he was uh, begotten here on the earth, just like, just like the manna was. And so when he says this, verse 42, they say, but isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. So how does he say, I am from heaven? That is, that God is really my father. They're saying, how can you say that God is your father, that you are from God? We know your father, Joseph. And that verse really shows us so much. For one thing, it shows us that in all the years that Jesus lived in Nazareth, for 30 years before he went public, it was not obvious that he was anything special, that he was anything different. People knew him as a carpenter or a working man, is what the Greek word means, and they were amazed. They were even upset and angry when he said, actually, God's my father. Now, we know that Jesus never sinned. That means he not only avoided committing bad things, but he also never omitted to do anything that he should do. And yet he did it in such a way that it was not noticeable, it was not visible to other people, in the sense that they didn't notice that he was anything different. Now, in our association with people who are not believers, as soon as we start to be a bit more righteous than them, and sort of say, no, no, I'm not doing that, I, I'm a Christian, or I don't, I'm not going to do that, whatever it is, drugs or getting drunk or whatever, um, they kind of get offended that, oh, you think you're better than us. And somehow, and I don't quite know how Jesus did this, but somehow he was perfect without ever giving people the impression he was anything special. They thought he was just an ordinary guy. And when he turned around and said, you know what, guys, basically, God's my father, people were just shocked. And I find that very beautiful because it shows the humility of Jesus that he didn't go around boasting in any sense that uh, he was anything special even though he was the only begotten son of God. And uh, I think it also shows that Mary also didn't go around boasting that he's the son of God. She completely acted in normal way and had other children it seems by, by Joseph because 
when Jesus is born, it says that he was her firstborn son. So if he was her firstborn son, it means that she had other children. So then, God loves humility. He really does. And this whole thing is a great example in how humble Jesus was, and also in how human Jesus was. And why is it important and comforting to understand that Jesus was of our nature is just that whenever we are tempted as we read in Hebrews we can think about Jesus and realise that he was tempted exactly as I am and so Jesus uh, says that he's this bread, he's like the manna and if you eat of it, verse 50, if you eat thereof you will not die and he says this many times If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life. Verse 54, he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will resurrect him at the last day. Now, how do we have eternal life if we we die? Because we know we're all going to die. And when we die, we're unconscious. That's what the Bible teaches And by being baptised into Jesus, into his death and resurrection, we connect ourselves with him, and therefore when he comes again, we will be resurrected like he was raised. And so, verse 40, he says, If you believe on me, you have eternal life, and I will resurrect you at the last day. And again, 54, If you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have eternal life, and I will resurrect you at the last day. So the hope, physically, is that we die, but then there is the resurrection when Jesus comes back at the last day. And yet we also have the life eternal now. Now that doesn't mean that we will not die. (laughs) The fact Jesus says, you have eternal life and I will resurrect you at the last day, it shows that he doesn't mean you will never die. Because he, he talks about the resurrection of the body. So in what sense then do we have eternal life? I think he means that if we live the kind of life now that we will live forever in the kingdom, in that sense we have eternal life. If we live in with love, joy, peace, righteousness, love of God now, well that is the sort of life that we will eternally live when Jesus comes back. If for us being righteous and being good and... Uh, having the fruits of the Spirit, if all those things are not very attractive to us, well then what's the point in living forever? Being good forever, you know, in a childish way. A child might, naughty child might say, I, I don't want to be good forever. Well, that's what it's going to be like. And I, for me personally, that is the greatest thing about being in the kingdom, not just the eternity of the life, but far more than that, the quality of the life. To live without sin. To live 24-7, as it were, righteous and being exactly as God would have us to be. And so we have eternal life insofar as we live the kind of life which we will live eternally now. And Jesus says we can do that if we drink his blood and drink and eat his flesh. And so what we're going to do now, taking the bread and wine, is is really showing in a physical way that all our lives we are trying to make his life part of our life. Not just part of our life, but letting his life become 
our life. And that's why he says, verse 56, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And it's really a a continuous tense there in the Greek. He who keeps on eating my flesh and keeps on drinking my blood has got the eternal life. So then we keep on and on every day trying to get his life and his way of thinking into us. And that's why I strongly encourage people to carry about with them a pocket Bible and just open it every now and again in the course of the day and read even a few verses. We're very often in a situation where we have 30 seconds on our hands. We go into a shop and there's a long line. And instead of getting frustrated, waiting for that line to go down, waiting, waiting, thinking, why is that old lady taking so long? Why is that old guy, he doesn't know what he really wants? Get your pocket Bible out and read a few verses. And the the golden principle really is, what would Jesus do? If Jesus lived here in this apartment, if he wore glasses like I do, if he... he lived the way I do in, in the situation I live in, what would he do? And how would he act? And how would he relate to the people that I relate to? And so, insofar as we live the kind of life that Jesus would live, we are living the life we will eternally live. And so, as we take this bread and wine now, of course that little piece of bread becomes in a very small way part of our physical body and the wine becomes in a very small way part of our physical body and that so we're symbolizing how we devote ourselves bit by bit to becoming more like Jesus to taking his life into ours And when he said these things, it's written twice here that, verse 60, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is too difficult. Who can believe this? And then later on in verse 66, the disciples, many of the disciples, walked away. Now, why did they do that? It seems to me that the gospel is too good news. Jesus is saying, you just believe in me? and have me in your life, and you will live forever and ever and ever. And people turned around and walked away. It was too wonderful to believe. Because we're so conditioned to having bad experiences with people. You you go to the supermarket and go shopping, and there is people offering you something free. And you think, yeah, okay, so you give me some free little bit of soap or some free shampoo, and what do you want? You want me to to buy buy a bottle, you know? You want me to buy something, yeah. And so, to us, it's totally, and even in our family relationships, we love our kids, but we also do expect something back. And if we don't get that back, we don't like it. Yeah. Um, America helps... Latvia or whatever it might be, some country in Africa or Asia, not uh, just because, oh, you poor people, no. they expect loyalty, they expect no. something back. They, like here in this country, they expect to, to have their bases, military bases here in this country. Um, 
nobody gives something for nothing and yet when we meet the grace of God and the gift of God as it is in Jesus that's something totally new that God says I will simply give this to you simply like that I will give it to you and if you believe it you can have it and yet in that sense salvation is by grace and it's by faith and not by works and yet as James says faith without works is dead in other words if I really believe that I'm going to live forever and ever that's so wonderful that I can't be passive to that that must affect how I live if God has given all that to me and I'm sure and certain that when Jesus comes as he says here I will be resurrected at the last day and live forever then I can't be passive to that I, I cannot just get on and live my life like I did before I believed that it's not possible it's not natural the natural response to having been given such a gift of grace is to, is to show it to other people and so in that sense as I understand it there is that connection between faith and works that the two things don't exist sort of totally independent of each other because if we believe that we will live forever we cannot be passive no way and so Jesus says verse 63 the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life and when the uh, disciples and many of them turn back Jesus says to the twelve are you going to go away Peter says verse 68 no because you have got the words of eternal life so when I say that get your pocket Bible out and read it these are the words of eternal life now I know it's black print on white paper and in one sense you know the Bible is one of all the millions of books there are in the world but here in our hands we hold the words of eternal life and this is not therefore just black print on white paper Paul says to Timothy 3.16 that the Bible was written by inspiration of God, that he put his spirit in these men who wrote this. That this is not just John writing his fantasy about what Jesus said. This is God speaking to us. And so the spirit of God works in our lives in many ways, but one of the ways in which it works is through his word. And so these are the words of eternal life. And when Jesus says, you've got to eat my flesh, and then you will have eternal life, that's paralleled with him saying that his words are life eternal. And so what does it mean to eat the body of Jesus? Of course, we're physically going to take the bread, which is a symbol of his body. But I think to take him into our lives involves reading his word, hearing his word, meditating on his word thinking about it so that his life becomes ours and in that sense his life becomes part of ours and we will live forever insofar as his spirit which is eternal is, is in us so then we'll take the bread and wine but it this alone is just a physical thing that we do it symbolizes how I am going to try to take him into me and part of that is 
taking his words into me. He says, eat my flesh, you'll have eternal life. And then he says that his words are eternal life. And Peter understands that. You have the words of eternal life. And so, how, do we, how are we going to resolve this week to take Jesus more into our lives? Well, I suggest we start with very little things. And I really do urge you, and I urge myself, to carry that little pocket Bible with you and read a few verses as often as you can and to take him into our lives. Now, of course, in all our human experience, we've had a lot of disappointment. We, we thought that somebody, maybe a political leader, maybe a friend, family member, a partner, husband, wife, whatever, even kids, we thought that they were the thing. And I can get behind that woman or get behind that man, get behind that philosophy, that political party. That is the way. And yet, we always get disappointed in the very end because people are only people and so maybe we have a barrier to saying I 100% open myself up to this man to Jesus and I will get behind him and everything that he wants I will do and I will try to understand how he thinks and have his life as my life and I'm there for him but we can do that we can do that and we will never be disappointed. We will never, ever think following that Jesus was a, you know, a, a wasted, that was a wasted part of my life, that was wasted time. No, we will never, ever get like that. And in fact, I don't know anyone who has actually said that. People may fall away in weakness, but I don't think anyone has said, I am personally disappointed with Jesus. Only the other way, that he has come into my life and I, am, I have stayed with him and I would not and could not live life now in any other way. So then we take the bread and, and wine in, in symbol of how we are living our, our lives, um, that we, we commit ourselves to taking him into our lives. So let's, um, let's give thanks for, for the bread. Our Father in heaven, through Jesus we come to thank you for the bread that symbolizes the body of your Son. And we know it's only bread, but we wish to take it deeply into ourselves. We wish to have him in our lives. And we pray that you will strengthen us in our weakness, that we might be able to do that more fully, so that we might live the life eternal. Through Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's give thanks for the, uh, for the cup. Our Father in heaven, through Jesus, we again come to thank you for the symbol of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus. And we want to take his life, which this wine symbolizes, we want to take his life into our lives. We want to think and to be as he was and as he is and as he forever shall be. Help us, Heavenly Father, to do that through Jesus. And for the sake of all that he was and is and has achieved, please hear us. Amen. Charles, you want to pray?
Almighty Father, King of God, the All Righteous God. Father, we thank you for this privilege of giving to us today, and this moment to take the bread, which signifies the pledge of your only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Drink the wine, stands for the blood of Jesus Christ, your only Son, the God in Son. Father, we thank you for this, not because of We are worthy to do this, but because you've given us this grace to do it. Mr. Lady on the Melon, be glorified for this privilege. And let this work in us like you want it to work. Let it bring righteousness into our life and make us realize it very well that we've eaten this not just because. We've eaten it like just bread or just wine, but like your f- flesh and your blood, like it signifies him. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.